Almighty God, how amazing you are. Just all the blessings in our lives that just rain down. And we see it every single day, Lord. The rising of the sun to the setting to the stars at night. Heavenly Father, you are so incredibly faithful and gracious to us. And we are so undeserving. We continue to go astray and yet you still love us and you sent your son to come and save us, to be our redeemer, to save all of us, to bring us to your church. And someday we will see your son come once again. Lord, how we look forward to that day. We ask you to come down this morning and tear open our hearts once again that we might hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, that we might understand more about your will and who you are and why you did what you did and why you did that for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. So we're in the middle of a song or poem. I think it's a poem by Isaiah against the behavior of Israel. And the last third of 59, and we're, we're going to do the last third of 59, and then we're going to do the first third of 60. And um, there's a big flip. At the, here at the end of 59 is the end of this particular poem. Then there's this one paragraph of prose. We're going to talk about that. Um, it's a single verse, and I say you know, a paragraph. One verse is a whole paragraph here. And then we're going to launch into 60. And 60, you'll see, is something that's very, very different. Um, th by the way, this particular poem began way back in um, 52.7, chapter 52, verse 7. And um, uh, this poem ends with uh, verse 20 here. In, here in um, uh, chapter 59. And by the way, then um, we're going to start a new poem with um, chapter 60, verse 1, and that one goes almost to the end of Isaiah. There's, there's a very short prose section right at the end of Isaiah. And so we're, we're going to talk about all that. Um, so I'm going to pick up where Bill left off last week, Finish the last third of Isaiah 59, and then we'll start the first third of Isaiah 60. So, verse 14. And by the way, this particular passage right here is called Judgment and Redemption. So, verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. It's a very evil world that Isaiah lived in and we still live in today. There is no justice, there is no righteousness, there is no truth. The upright and the just are not seen and they are not heard. And it's very difficult for them to be seen or heard as it, as, in their time as it is today. The, the upright and the righteous are not the ones that are the loudest. It's always the ones that are trying to steer the conversation their way that are always the loudest that we hear. 
Continuing on in verse 15, Isaiah continues with the same theme. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil and makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Those who are upright are made into the victims. The Lord looks on as not pleased in the land without justice. And this displeases God. And God has something that he's going to do about it. And, and you'll see that here. Continuing on, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then by his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Continuing on, verse 18. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So right here you have this impressive image, and you can imagine it. Um, sorry, let me back up. Verse 16. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then he and his righteousness then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. God observes that no one can intercede and there is none. So the Lord intercedes and uses the might of his arm to bring salvation and righteousness. So 17 and 18, he puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. You have this impressive image, and you can imagine it, of the Lord putting on righteousness as a breastplate and placing the helmet of God's salvation on his own head, his garments of vengeance over his arms, and finally the Lord wraps himself in his undying and unending zeal as a cloak, across his shoulders. And he comes to repay those who are the evildoers outside of his salvation. And this is what I imagine Jesus to look like when he comes again, his tattoo on his thigh riding the white horse. That passage, by the way, is in Revelation 19, 11 to 16. The Apostle John is writing, And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what I imagine here, that Jesus is going to look exactly like that on that day, and so much more. 
Verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Those who do not regard the Lord will face utter destruction. The last two phrases of this particular verse really caught my attention. He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. I got the distinct impression here that Isaiah is speaking of a flash flood. Many in the, far, in the Middle East would know this, just as we would here in the desert southwest. My youngest son was, it was about six weeks ago, he was out at Antelope Canyon, which is south of the Grand Canyon in northern Arizona. And it's the one you always see the photos of where it's very, very narrow, vertical walls, sandstone going up many, many feet. You can't see the sky where he's at. And the, the bottom of the canyon right there is about 20 feet wide. But it, there's a very large empty plain that drains into this canyon right here at this particular point. And there are many YouTube videos you can go find of people who are in this canyon when a flash flood arrives. And the way you know is it sounds like a train is coming down the canyon, the rushing sound, that, and, and it's terrifying. And the other thing that happens is there is a very cold wind that comes down the canyon at the same time. If this ever, ever happens to any of you, you turn around and you run as fast as you can to get to higher ground. Um, there, there's a really amazing video online where this guy runs about 60 feet up the side of the canyon after he gets to a wide point. And while he's standing there, all this debris comes rushing down and it goes from nothing to about 20 feet deep in the course of about 20 seconds. And when that happens, you have to just immediately run. This is almost exactly, this is exactly what I thought of when I read this in Isaiah. Verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Here we have a promise from God to us through the prophet that a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob. Jacob has another name. Do you remember this? Jacob's name is also Israel. These are both names that get used whenever Isaiah refers to the people of God, the church. And this is also what he's referring to here, to those who turn from transgression. Right here, by the way, is the end of this particular poem that began all the way back in chapter 52. And now we get the paragraph of prose that ends chapter 59. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. 
this last verse of 59 in prose, and God gives us his covenant, that his spirit is upon us, and his words shall not depart from our mouths, from our children's mouths, and not from our children's children's mouths, forever. That's an amazing promise, a truly incredible, amazing promise that God gives us at this point. There's another piece here. Isaiah says that each one of us will have his spirit. Acts 2, 1 and 2. Acts 2, 1 and 2. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the promise that God gives us. And the amazing thing to me is, in retrospect, when we look back at this, we know immediately what Isaiah is telling us. We know immediately exactly where this happens. And it's so clear to us now, standing where we're at, looking at this, looking back in history, and how confusing this must have been for the people of the day. Thinking about the Spirit of God and coming and resting on each one of them. So we continue on to chapter 60. Chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. This is called the future glory of Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. What an incredible message of hope and promise here that Isaiah is giving us. Even though great darkness settles over the whole world, God's love, his hope, and his peace is upon the church. Continuing on, verse 3. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Stop and think about this. That the light that God gives us is so obvious that everyone sees it. Everyone notices that there's something different about us. The light and justice shall be seen by the world, and the world will come to God. So verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on your head. Lift up your eyes. The nations shall come to our God. Isaiah, how many times did Isaiah talk about the mountain of the Lord and all the nations coming to it, flowing to Zion? 
And I know this particular image. Our sons shall come with them, and our daughters shall be carried. I know this last image a lot. Our, great, our, our granddaughter stands a great, spends a great deal of time getting carried around. You can imagine. So this whole image of your daughters being carried on your hip, man, I know this one. Verse 5. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Here we see, we shall see and know in our hearts, because of God's blessing and abundance, shall be ours. And the wealth of the nations shall come to the mountain of God and to God's people. And you'll notice that twice it's talked about the coastlands. First you had the coastlands, and now we have the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The amazing thing to me is the Jews were not a seagoing people at all. They had no navy to speak of. And so to them, the Greeks were, it was very foreign when the Greeks showed up that they should come across the sea in their ships. And this, this was something very different. It wasn't in their, their understanding. And yet here Isaiah mentions it twice here in this passage. Verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Camels were very, very unusual at this time. Um, Prior to about 1000 B.C., there were no camels in the Middle East in, in Canaan, where Israel is. And so now it's only like uh, 800 B.C. And so it's only a couple hundred years after that. And now we have many camels that are coming. And it's still unusual to see a camel. Only the rich ride camels. And here it's talking about having camels coming and bringing riches. They come from far off lands, exotic places far beyond their shores to bring riches and abundance as we cannot imagine. And they shall bring the good news and the words of praise to the Lord. The multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Continuing on to verse 7. And we're going to finish here at verse 7. All the flocks of Kadar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Neoboth shall, shall minister to you. And they shall come up with, ex- with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. All these riches are coming to worship God. And they will all have the words of praise to God on their lips. They shall worship at the altar of the Lord, and it shall be a sweet offering to God, singing praise to the Redeemer, who we know is Jesus.
who saves all of us. And they will all come to the house of the Lord. Now keep in mind, when Isaiah writes this, the Assyrians have just laid siege to Jerusalem. They know the Babylonians are going to come. And they have a madman for a king at this time who's running amok. And Isaiah is delivering this message. And so you can imagine what, how difficult that must have been for the people to hear. That there is this hope and that there is this promise that God is bringing. And this ends the passage this week. Next week we're going to go on and finish chapter 60. And um, I went ahead and I read 61. And I'm going to tell you not to do that. Bill may tell you otherwise. I'm telling you not to do that because there's a huge surprise. And, and I don't want to blow it. And Bill is going to have a great time with this. I know he will. And uh, he and I have been, already been talking about it. And it, it's going to be very cool. I'm really looking forward to that. So God promises something new here. Isaiah proclaims a new thing is coming from the Lord. And the Lord makes the ways of righteousness and justice. But at the same time, you have this huge problem, the problem of sin. And so, and, and it's not clear how that gets overcome at this point, other than there's a Redeemer that's coming. Isaiah promises that God is going to bring a Redeemer. And yet, there's still this huge issue that's weighing there. All of the Jews know this. They know what the, what the law says. And they know none of them are able to follow it. And so there's this, this huge cloud that's hanging over them. And they don't understand. I know they don't understand. And so God is telling them to have faith by doing this. This, is, this falls into the category of God gives you things that you cannot handle yourself so that you will trust him. And this is, quite literally, this, this entire book is that story. God is wholly just. God is wholly faithful. God knows what the great problem is, the problem of sin. And God knows the only way that, can, that sin can be atoned for, for the redemption of God's people, for the salvation of God's people. God knows the one who can pay for all sins from eternity past through the present to eternity in the future. God knows the answer to this problem. God knows that only his son is just and true and can stand in the gap and be the bridge for all the sins of God's people. Jesus. Jesus is the one, the servant, the crown prince, who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father, the King. Not created, not made, forever eternal. Jesus is the one that comes. Jesus is the servant. Jesus is the Redeemer the Son of God, the Eternal King. Not created, not made, forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, how easy it is for us to see 
Jesus in these words. How amazing is that promise that you give us through the prophet Isaiah. Many people regard Isaiah as being the most beautiful of passages because of the promise, the hope. Lord, how amazing is that? And how unbelievable and difficult it must have been for the church, for the people of the church at that time to know all the chaos that's going on in the world and yet to have this great promise of hope and light and redemption. Lord, write that, carve that on our hearts so that we can understand the lostness of the people, the lostness of our own situation. And yet, we know that Jesus came and Jesus came and paid for all of it so that we could be with you one day in heaven, singing praise and worship in the new Jerusalem. Lord, how we look forward to that day. How amazing, how beautiful, and how incredible. Lord Jesus, you came to earth and lived a perfect life. And you walked up on that mountain carrying the sins of the world from all time, from all peoples. And you walked up on that mountain and died on a cross for all of us, for your church. Lord Jesus, how incredibly beautiful and amazing is that image that you would sacrifice yourself for all of us. We love you and praise you, Jesus. Amen.